The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You are listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Lohai. I'm a professional body piercer with eight years of experience in the industry. I've traveled the nation piercing and guest spotting, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about the industry so we can all stay sharp. Hello, I'm Lynn Lohide, and I'm currently one of the piercers at Icon Piercing and Tattoo in Nashville. If you don't know that much about me, I started in this industry eight years ago, and I've worked at a number of really cool studios. I recently spent a couple of months guesting and traveling and settled down at Icon Nashville to call my new permanent home. I'm also a writer for Sacred Debris, which is an online website and print zine documenting body modification and body piercing history. Um, I write there alongside Sean Porter and Ari, who are both phenomenal folks. They tend to focus on documenting more recent history, things from the 80s and 90s, and I've been writing some cool different pieces about modern stuff all the way back to Victorian era body piercing. You can find us at Sacred Debris on Instagram and online if you're interested in learning a little bit more about where the industry came from, how it got its start, and kind of what shaped modern body piercing. I am also a GIA accredited jeweler and diamond grader, and I love geeking out about gemstones and all those fancy fun qualities of the fine jewelry that we work with. Today, I'm interviewing Margot Delaquilla, one of my former co-workers. She used to work with me at Amato Fine Jewelry and Body Piercing and has recently started her own tour of guesting and relocating. Uh, Ryan reached out to me a few months ago, um, interested in having someone who's a little bit newer with a fresher perspective on the industry go ahead and interview someone who's super new and just getting into this for a totally new take on things. Uh, so I had to pick Margot, of course. I've worked with her for two years. She's phenomenal. Um, she's been piercing about a year now. She's a junior piercer, and she has some really interesting take and input to give, especially about things like piercer ethics. As someone coming up in the industry with so much more information readily available to her, working with quality jewelry right away, and just getting to have a really great foundation right off the bat, that gives her a really unique take on how we should conduct ourselves day-to-day in the studio and what procedures are or aren't safe and how we should handle things like saying no to clients that I think is a really interesting and fresh and enlightening take. So go ahead and give a listen and here is me and Margot talking about some fun stuff in the piercing room. Hello, everyone listening. I'm Lynn Lohide. I am a traveling piercer, currently guesting around the country. You can follow me online at at Lynn Lohide or lynnlohide.com to keep up with my travels and my work. I recently did a pretty awesome episode of the Piercing Wizard podcast with Ryan and was invited back to guest host an episode. So here we are today, and I am here with Margot Delaquilla. Hey, um, 
Um, so my name is Margot Delaquilla, as stated, and I am a piercer at Amato Fine Jewelry and Body Piercing down in South Florida. You can follow me on social media at Piercings by Margot. Really simple. So Margot, you're an apprentice towards the end of your apprenticeship, kind of a junior piercer. How are you enjoying apprenticing and getting into the industry? I mean, all of it has been a dream come true, honestly. I have been having a fantastic time. It has been everything that I could have imagined it to have been and more. And I'm definitely very privileged to have had the opportunity to start in the type of studio that I did. Because um, Amato is the only studio I've ever worked at. And this is the only piercing apprenticeship I've ever had. <laughs> and we've always had, you know, been on the higher end of things. We've always had quality jewelry. It's always been internally thread threadless or threaded it's been a great experience to have that off the bat and be able to start like that and I definitely feel blessed <laughs> I don't have any other word for it I guess how do you feel it's been getting a foundation as a piercer starting off high quality and you know not really having some of those struggles you've maybe heard myself or other piercers talk about with our training Having a really solid foundation like that to begin with has really given me the opportunity to focus more on just the training aspect. So less having to worry about the jewelry, the studio, we're not in tattoo, we are piercing only. So I've had the entire time the ability to focus on my training, my education, and that's always been a priority with between my mentor and I that I'm as educated as possible. So going into when I did start piercing and when I am having my solo days or when I am a full-fledged piercer, or maybe even one day on a studio by myself, that I have just the most solid foundation to build upon. And it's great to know that I was gifted with that. And I know that obviously not everybody is as lucky and people kind of have to do things on their own sometimes or rely on the help of others around them as they're full-time piercing but maybe don't have a mentor anymore or didn't have a great apprenticeship and they have a lot more to struggle with and I'm definitely thankful that I didn't have to go through that. <laughs> so you just started taking solo days um, and piercing by yourself um, without your mentor present at all during the day. How has that been going? It's really exciting. Definitely nerve-wracking, uh, to be completely honest, which I feel like is expected. Uh, in October, it's going to be two years that I've been piercing on um, clients, not just the occasional friend of like, hey, let me pierce your Felix, um, but actually performing piercing services on clients. And I'm just starting to have my solo days at the studio, like you mentioned, and it's crazy to think about how far I've come, for starters, but also to see what the studio has become and knowing that we have this full staff of amazing counter girls and being in like more of a managerial position with them and knowing that I'm responsible for everything that leaves the studio that day, <laughs> not just a couple of things that leaves on the couple of days that I'm working with our other piercer, but it's all me just by myself having a great time. And I'm starting to build up kind of my own clientele, you know, those great regulars who are like, hey, is Margot in today? I'd like to see her. And I never had that before either. So it's been a really nice transition. It's definitely very stressful, but something I've worked really hard for and I'm glad that I'm finally reaching. 
I definitely remember how stressful it was for myself. It was like taking the training wheels off the bike, taking the floaties off in the pool, and the first like little bit you're like, oh god, I'm gonna die. <laughs> yeah, very much so. It's I I spent so long not only observing and learning, but also being observed. And even on days where I'm doing the majority of the piercing, like let's say all of the appointments scheduled just so happen to be for me, it's just a day of my clients with my mentor there, even though we're working a shift together and he's not really observing me on all of the piercings that I'm doing, he's still in the background. So it is also nice to kind of have that lifeline as needed. Um, but also still simultaneously a little nerve wracking as well, because it's like, hey, he's still watching what I'm doing. It's still, you know, there's always improvements to be made. So if something I'm doing isn't maybe the way he taught me or there was something I could improve upon that maybe he forgot about during that time frame. It's still that conversation. And I'm, again, really grateful to at least have that level of communication where my mentor is still around and I'm still getting those little bits, even right before piercing, I was like, Hey, there's this piece of jewelry that we're going to be using. I've done this like two or three times before, but I've never inserted it in this way. Is that viable? Is that possible? And then being able to have that conversation, it's nice to have, I want not like a hand to hold, but you know, it's nice to have a little bit of that from time to time. And I don't have that anymore in my days off, although he's still just a text message or phone call away. If I did. Absolutely. Do you have any advice for folks who are just starting to transition to solo days or just starting piercing in their apprenticeship? Just be confident. Uh, I know it seems obvious that that's what you should do, but it can be really difficult, especially I know me personally, I have a lot of self-confidence issues when it comes to being a piercer, being referred to as a piercer, even though I know that I've spent all these years working for it, it's still kind of in the back of my mind. I feel like, you know, a baby learning to walk. And even though I have all this education and I know exactly what I'm talking about, exactly what I'm doing, I've been taught a million and one ways to troubleshoot this. It can be scary to be put in that chair and you just have to believe that you can do it, you know this, you've got this. <laughs> you don't always need a hand to hold and just be confident. Absolutely. So when I chose you as the guest for this episode, um, partially it's because, you know, we've worked together for a couple of years and I definitely know and I'm comfortable working with you, but also you had a really interesting topic to talk about, which is piercer ethics, but kind of more so how we handle offering certain piercings on clients, where we draw the line between what we will and won't do, what we will and won't use, and kind of how we go about making sure we're offering these piercings in a way that is ethical and that is in the client's best interests, more so than maybe our own interests of a sale or a portfolio picture or whatever it may be. Right. And as someone who is newer to the industry, who's newer to being a full-time piercer, I've only been working at Amato, it'll it'll be three years, um, and I'm kind of still in the background of the industry, so I do a lot of just observing, um, witnessing, <laughs> and it's, it's a lot of interesting things that you see happen online, and in forums, and all of the above, and a lot of what I see is sometimes a little scary, I guess, because there is that need for a social media presence and a almost popularity contest that's existent of, hey, who's got 
the best online portfolio. And sometimes that online portfolio is focused towards clients and other times you can tell that that portfolio is focused towards the impression of other piercers. And it can be difficult to see clients being treated as like wall ornaments, essentially of like, hey, I did this thing, I took a picture of it, who cares if it heals, but it's in my portfolio, aren't I cool? And it's, you know, the industry is growing, it's progressing, there's so much education that is continually being given to us. And it's our responsibility as piercers to take that and use it wisely, but also to treat our clients accordingly and to give them what they deserve because at the end of the day, they're the priority and we would be nowhere if it wasn't for them. The only reason that the industry has grown as much as it has is not because of access or communication or any of the above. It's because clients have gained an interest. Clients are becoming more educated and we have a responsibility to them. Absolutely. I think it's really easy to lose sight of the client in you know, wanting to build a better portfolio, wanting to learn a new technique, wanting to grow as a piercer. We can become so insular as a community where we're really just focused on what's going on with other piercers, um, what the drama of the day, the tea of the day is, um, how our portfolio looks, as opposed to those people walking through the door who, at the end of the day, are the ones writing our checks. Um, it can also be a little bit too easy to get focused on the money aspect of it as well, and the sale that's a big one over what might necessarily be the best thing for the client. Right. As, as studios start to transition into having more gold, there's even a couple of studios at this point in time that carry exclusively gold. Um, it has become kind of a moral dilemma that's very visible between making that big gold sale of all of this beautiful jewelry doing piercings full of, you know, gold and diamonds and genuine stones. And it's like this amazing, perfect curated set versus doing one or two piercings with maybe a couple titanium pieces, because what's going to get more likes online? Well, of course, it's going to be the gold and all the fancy jewelry and everything, but it's never in the benefit of the client. And there is sometimes those scenarios that you have to troubleshoot with clients who've had those experiences, maybe from other studios or experiences in the past, and they lose a little bit of faith in, in us as piercers because when they buy, they expect spending all of this money that what they're gonna get is a good experience because typically that's how retail works. <laughs> and the piercing industry is kind of a combination of retail, service, a million other things. We're kind of a, a people of many hats. And when a client spends that much, they would expect to have quality in general, just as healing, aftercare, troubleshooting. And that's not always what happens when you have so much going on at one time. So do you have a limit on how much you'll do in one session or do you limit certain pieces you'll use in certain placements? Yes, um, there's definitely a guideline that I kind of keep in the back of my head at all times. And a lot of it is very dependent on what our end goal is, what piercings the client wants to have done, if they have this ear project or a couple facial piercings that they're going for, anything like that that they have planned out or that we're working on together, I will limit varied on that. So if they want a couple of difficult healers, like an industrial, a day and a rook all in one go, probably not a great idea. Um, I don't mind doing, you know, a couple of loaves, a couple of helixes, 
it makes it a little bit easier for them to have that experience and go through that initial healing process and then work their way up to some of the tougher things. Or if it's a client that we worked with a lot, maybe a really good regular, someone who I've pierced often, I've seen how they heal, I know how they swell, then I'll be like, okay, I can make the exception for this one time, except it's got to be very minimal jewelry, something easy to clean, easy to heal with, nothing super big and fancy to begin with, but I'll do it for you. You have to come back for your downsides. You have to come back for your checkups and just be very honest with them. Like, hey, you know, this is going to be difficult to heal. You know, it's going to be a lot of extra work on your end. You're going to have to make the drive out here to see me more often. But if you're down for it, I am too. And it's a fine line between making that exception for client happiness and then knowing when to tell a client, that's not a good idea. We should probably wait on that. Absolutely. And I think the nature of the piercings plays a really big role too. I certainly feel a lot more comfortable doing like two sets of lobes and a helix than I would doing an industrial, a rook, a doth, and an antitragus all in one day. Exactly. That's exactly the same boat that I am in as well. I can't agree. It's too important to remember how things heal differently and how much strain it's going to put on the body. And you wrote a really great article recently about wound healing, and I think it's definitely, it's not the most glamorous subject. You know, <laughs> it certainly may not pack a room at conference the same way you know, septum techniques or navel techniques will, but it's really important to remember the ways different wounds heal differently, different piercings heal, and factor that in when you're trying to plan a big project or do a lot of work for someone. Yeah, that's, that's one of the main points that I try and focus on when it comes to client education, because... Like I mentioned, with the industry growing, clients are doing a lot more research on their own. And unfortunately, there still isn't a plethora of information out there available to them. A lot of this is going to be coming from us as piercers. It's it's our duty to give them that education. So a lot of what I try and discuss with my clients is the basics of that, which is what that article is about. It's just very minimal basics of wound healing because when it comes to body piercing, it can be hard to tell an excited teenager, no, we shouldn't do six cartilage piercings on each side of your head. They get disappointed and it can be difficult to explain to them why. And this happens with clients of all walks. It can be hard to try and make that a positive thing of waiting like yeah it's it's a good thing to wait because you're gonna have an easier time healing whereas it just seems oh well now I can't get this done I really wanted this piece it's a disappointment so the education is a big factor of that because with the understanding of yeah inflammation lasts for this period of time body piercing is kind of a funky thing that we do and we don't allow the body to heal normally and we may have some issues based on that inflammation and this piercing swells this way and this one swells this way you're going to have a hard time between the two of those that's what makes it a little bit easier to have a client take a step back and be like okay you know what I get it you're totally right that makes perfect sense. Thank you for explaining that to me. Absolutely. And some of those less glamorous topics um, to learn or educate yourself about are also some of the most important because that's what's going to save you that negative client interaction or that client who maybe doesn't leave fully understanding why you said no or why you said this. But at the end of the day, it's also important to remember that the client isn't always right. You know, the customer is not always right. And we do have the right to say no at a certain point. Yeah, I mean, that's 
that's our ability. We have that option to do so. If we feel as if something's going to be unsafe, it's not viable for their anatomy whatsoever. Maybe it's a piercing that is out of their age range. Like if it's a, a young teenager who really wants something that we know is a very difficult healer, then that's our right as a piercer to say, no, we don't need to perform that service. We are liable for everything that we do. Like everything that I personally work on, I am responsible for. And that's in my mind 24 seven. And if something were to go wrong, like if I make a mistake, we're humans, we're piercers, mistakes happen. If I need to pull something or something didn't come out the way that I had imagined it to, or the client was in some way disappointed, those things happen and they haunt me. <laughs> they, I stay awake at night just thinking about that. And I can't imagine not being open and honest with clients about the risks of some of what they're doing or what they want or what they're asking for and taking that without them knowing just because I wanted a cool picture. Absolutely. I think it's easy to get caught up in, oh my God, this client likes this really cool piece I've had in my case for forever. Or, oh my God, this client wants this thing that I've never gotten the opportunity to do, or I've never gotten a good picture of. And it's easy to forget the ethics in that because you are so excited. And I think we, we've all been there where maybe we've done something and we thought about it later and we've been like, mm, I don't know. Um, but it's important to remember the client at the end of the day and that you don't always have to start right away with that big fancy piece. Maybe you can have the client put it on hold or as cool as that piercing might be, maybe it's not the best for that client's lifestyle or for this time in their life right now. Right. And, and it, it also goes into like, practicing different techniques like starting with my apprenticeship the initial portion was a basis of techniques and then learning from there different variations of that and some piercers go off to like conference for instance and they learn like needle crushing <laughs> just because that's been a hot topic um, and everyone's really hot and ready to try something with a crushed needle and that's not always ideal for maybe the climate, the client, the piercing, but you're just so excited that that's what gets done. And sometimes that's not the best. And I've seen some of those instances, like I have a really good example, actually, um, one of our counter girls actually was a client of ours for a long period of time. She got pierced at a studio elsewhere and she had gotten her filtrum done and the filtrum came out all sorts of crazy looking. And she came in to us for the first time to see like what was going on with it. it. was It was incredibly swollen. It was catching on her septum. Like the bar had kept getting stuck. She was having a lot of issues with it. So she came in, she was like, something just doesn't seem right. What's going on? Come to find out later that day, that piercer posted a picture of her filtrum on their Instagram. And in the caption said, first freehand filtrum basically stating that they had tried this technique that they had never tried before on an unsuspecting client. And this client was soon to be our counter girl was so upset. She number one would have liked to have been informed that that was what was happening. And if somebody had told her, Hey, you know, I want to try this new technique. Um, I hope you don't mind. Would that be okay? I'll maybe offer them a discount on the piercing fee. Like, hey, maybe I'll, I'll give you the piercing fee for free if you let me try this. That's called informed consent. She would agree to that. However, if you do something like that and then a client later finds out, that becomes a really 
difficult conversation that you're going to end up having with that client later when they come back upset because she had no idea that that's what was going on. Absolutely. That's definitely an interesting thing. Guesting right now is not every studio is set up the same way. Not every studio has the same tools in stock. Not every studio works with tools. I definitely found myself in the situation where I'm like, well, my comfort level for this piercing would be using a tool and they don't have it here and having to sit down with a client and be like, hey, I'm a traveling piercer. Normally I would do this piercing this way, but because I'm here, we're going to go with this technique for today, which is something that I feel pretty confident in, but it'll be one of my first times doing it. Is that okay with you and as long as you manage the room the right way and explain things the right way the client will generally be pretty comfortable with that but it's also knowing your own limitations for certain more advanced techniques maybe you do it when you're shadowing someone or do it when there's another piercer there who can watch you and give you some correction and advice and, you know if you take a class at conference or a seminar and you think it's really great maybe reach out to that instructor and say hey I'd love to come shadow you I'd love to bring a friend and see if I can do this piercing with you there um, and set it up in a way where you can get that hands-on experience before you're jumping right into offering it on unsuspecting paying clients. Right. And going back to the example of practicing on unsuspecting clients, it's one thing to do that, but also then to publicly post that that's what you've done. Um, that kind of plays into the running a social media for a client's purpose and running a social media for a piercer's purpose. There is a lot of portfolios out there to look at and there's a, I don't want to say that there's sort of a competition, but there is a constant comparison that happens. And this is in social media in general, but definitely in the industry where piercers definitely want one another to have respect together. So you see somebody's portfolio online and you're like, wow, they're a really great piercer. I can see that they've got some heel piercings, some angle shots, they use quality jewelry, that's awesome. And then there are some other piercers who are just constantly posting nothing but fresh work, nothing but complicated healers, things on clients who have nothing else that they've ever done, but they've got this crazy bent industrial type project thing. And you can tell that that's coming from a, hey, I'm doing cool things. I'm a cool kid. Please really like me and respect me. And that puts clients at risks. And I don't feel comfortable with that being a common factor in the industry. I, I wish that that was a little less present. Absolutely. And I think there's ways if you want to do some of these crazy projects to do it really right. Um, Luis Garcia does great stuff for his Instagram where he posts these great projects, but a lot of times they're healed or a lot of times he takes the time to post, well, we had to start this with these three pieces first and then custom order and custom bend this jewelry. And we didn't just start right away with these yes. crazy pieces and kind of gives a little bit of the background information about how stuff healed, how stuff was done. Um, or if you're going to do something questionable, maybe you don't have to post it right away when it's fresh. Maybe take some time, troubleshoot it, get it through those phases. And once you've gotten it healed, post it. And I also think that shows a little bit more of your skill as a piercer because when you're doing something complicated, it's not just that you did it, but it's also that you troubleshot it, you worked with the client, um, and you got it to heal. When I was working with you, I did that Dofta Forward Helix Orbital. I was um, just thinking about that. Yes. Did not post that until, you know, seven or eight months in when it was fully healed and we'd gotten through all of right. the little hiccups in the road. So also, too, you don't need that instant gratification. Do a cool project, but then work with the client, get it to heal, and have that satisfaction of, like, not only did I do this, but it healed and it's great. 
Exactly. And I have so much respect for piercers who are very honest, openly like that, like in a public space where they can say like, hey, this was done by me and I did this six months ago with a completely different set of jewelry for this intention and now here it is. It definitely did not look like this to begin with. It was hard to heal, but hey, we did it. We're here. Awesome. Um, Whereas there are some other piercers out there in the industry who are using social media as a platform for that like cool point system that's happening and it it's a hey let me try this thing here it is i posted it let's see what people think about it and i've seen a couple examples of this in particular um one that comes to mind off the bat is there is a piercer who seems to always turn up on my like uh discover page you know on social media And there was, you know how sometimes in tattoo studios, they do those like gumball machines where you put a quarter in, you you spin the thing, you get a gumball. It's like a random tattoo. You got to get it on you for $50, whatever. Um, This piercer was doing a similar concept. It was like a fishbowl piercing type thing where it's just a list of different things. You put your hand in it for a certain dollar amountage. You pull out whatever you get. You get the piercing for that amount. And if you choose not to, you lose that money, um, which is a very scary concept for starters um, for a number of reasons but one of the things that they posted as a result of that was a rhino piercing um, which like if you've ever seen like anything on BME or like 90s MySpace or anything that was like the beginning of the industry there are some crazy things that were happening this piercing in particular is one of those part of the experimental phase um, when piercing mainly consisted of what's the coolest, toughest thing that we can get to heal to show how expert level we are. And this piercing was performed on a random client who picked this out of a bowl and only got it so that they didn't have to lose the $50 that they spent on it. And I can, I can tell you that that's not, (laughs) that's not the way to do things because that piercing can have a lot of scarring involved. That's the center of somebody's face. If they have no concept of how that piercing heals, the risks of healing a piercing like that, the piercer maybe doesn't discuss that with them. Their main concern is just not losing their $50. Then it's not overall good for either party. Absolutely. It's really, I think, tough because every studio has, you know, a different set of ethics, a different set of things that they will and won't do that they can and can't do. You know, traveling around right now, guesting at different studios, some studios won't start with hoops. Some studios will. Some studios don't do any surface work. Some studios do lots of surface work. Some places will pierce both sides of the head at the same time. Others won't. And so many different factors come into making that call. But at the end of the day, you need to make sure that the biggest factor is client safety. It can't be because I really want to do a bunch of these piercings this week. It can't be because I really like having these in my portfolio. It has to be like what's reasonable for my clientele base, for my climate, for the pieces that I have to offer. And I don't think there's anything wrong with humbling yourself and being able to say, you know, I just don't feel comfortable with this, so I don't want to do it. Um, Or this doesn't heal well where I live, so I don't want to offer it. Right. And and climate really does play a big portion in that decision because there are definitely – in Florida in particular, a lot of situations that are 
our climate only, <laughs> like being in a, an extremely humid climate, especially with people who have pools in their backyard. Like everyone's got a pool. Every single person has a pool in their backyard. Um, the humidity really does change how piercings heal, the amount of inflammation, what jewelry we start with. And taking that into consideration is always going to result in the benefit of the client. So we like at Amato, essentially we don't do any open back settings for initial piercings or piercings that are kind of healing or in that phase. And I feel like that's kind of a common factor in general, but it's especially enforced where we are at because in a humid climate, it's just way too much probability of that, you know, gunky, funky stuff building up in that setting, causing irritation, causing issues. We have plenty of open back pieces, but they're all four healed piercings. And that's a discussion that's had. If somebody comes in and they fall in love with this really gorgeous open back piece that's, you know, gold, genuine stone, it's beautiful. Don't get me wrong, I would love to put that in them, but I know that if I pierce them with that piece, it's not going to heal well. And that gives me one less healed piece in my portfolio. I prefer, hey, if you really like that, we've only got one. You can buy it today if you want. We can order it for you later on down the road, and then maybe we'll just put it in once it's healed. Start with something a little bit simpler, a little bit easier, especially if this is your first time getting pierced or anything in between. Absolutely. Or just knowing where the clients are going through. Like I remember being in Florida, being comfortable using open backs because someone was going back to New York in mm -hmm. a couple of weeks or something like that. But it's even one of those things where, you know, I couldn't wear open back stuff on some of my healed piercings living down there because it just didn't work out. Um, yeah. Climate plays such a big role. One of the first questions I ask on my guest spots is, hey, what sizing are you guys using for things? And it's all over the board from we often have to use 1130 seconds on thicker helixes to it's quarter inch all day long, no matter the client's ear, except for a pretty specific circumstance. Um, and it's mind boggling traveling around. I'm in a different studio just about every week, a different climate and seeing the way those things change and what you can get away with certain places that you absolutely couldn't others. Right. And it goes in for jewelry picking, jewelry choice and aftercare and aftercare aspects vary so greatly. And being in Florida, it's a very transient state. And there's a lot of people who don't actually live down here, but they come, they have a summer home, they're visiting, they have family who lives down here. It's kind of like that weird vacation retirement scenario. <laughs> so everyone's coming to visit their parents or they're coming to spend the summer. And you have a lot of people who don't live here, but live up north. And it's a completely different climate like Philadelphia and New Jersey, Maine, we have some clients who live in Canada. It's completely different than what we have down here. And they will oftentimes visit piercers at other reputable studios for work or to have things changed where the climate's completely different. And it can be almost a weird like questioning that happens where they'll come in with something that would be not something we would ever use. And I want to be like, hey, did you get this down here? No? Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I can understand why that piercer there chose that piece, because if you had been living there or staying there, that would have been totally appropriate. But you're spending the summer here. We might need to lengthen this one piercing. 
Absolutely. And I think that plays into to communicating with your clients. Hey, are you traveling anytime soon? Are you from around here? Where are you going? But also communicating with other piercers. If you maybe don't know, you know, if you live in a warm climate, and you've never experienced winter, and you don't know what it's going to be like if you do a vertical librette on someone who's going back to Canada, maybe find a studio near them, reach out and be like, hey, is this a good idea? Or, hey, I did this piercing. This client's coming to see you. Can you follow up on it for me? Let me know how it's looking when it comes in. Yeah, exactly. And that communication with piercers can be obviously a little intimidating, especially as me personally, as someone who's newer in the industry and not like a household name by any means. It's an initial reaction can be a little scary like hey I don't know if I want to do that but it's important for the client's safety that some of that communication is had um like a so really good example is I had Allie from Native Rituals reach out to me and they let me know that they had a piercing come in that was from me and it was looking really good they downsized the bar and even though it was only a couple of weeks old it was looking good enough that they could do a new piercing and that open communication is really important it kept me informed because they were planning on coming back down here to have me do some other work so I could keep track of what was being done when, how my stuff is healing, but also it's just nice to know that I at least have that option because if I do need to send someone somewhere and I want to follow up on that, that, that openness is available. Absolutely. And that's something that's so important because we all know that clients aren't always the most transparent. Something that happens a lot in guest spots is someone will come in and want to get work done from me. And I look and I can tell that they've got a lot of stuff that's healing. And I can easily, you know, dip out of the room and check in with another piercer and be like, hey, do you recognize this client? And they can be like, oh, yeah, they've got nipples, a navel, a helix, two lobes, and like a doth healing, we really shouldn't do anything more. But that can be more difficult to do when a client is just coming into your studio. So taking the time to say, hey, some of these are maybe looking a little fresher, like they've got some stuff going on. Maybe let's give it a week, come back in for a follow-up, or I'll follow up with you and reach out to the studio or piercer that did the work originally or where they're coming from and be like, hey, how new are these actually? Because I think if we all had a dollar for every time a client went, oh, this thing is like two years old, and it was like two months <laughs> yeah. old, um, we'd all be very rich. Yeah, and I mean, that even happens within the same studio. And I'm sure it's not just at our studio, but I'm sure it happens elsewhere. We have clients who come in who will see me for one thing and then try and go see our other piercer for something different, maybe not knowing that we're communicating or that they know what's up. Um, because maybe the conversation that was had was, hey, we should wait a week or two until this one's looking a little bit better for us to move on to the other side and do this new project. And they're just a little impatient. So they think, oh, you know, I'm going to be a little slick. Let me go see if this other piercer on a day that I'm not there <laughs> will do these things for me. And thankfully, the communication is there. And we're all well aware of who's got what, when, what's going on. And we are doing that for client safety. And that can be difficult for clients to grasp and understand why we would tell them no, why we don't want their money, but it's at the end of the day, we just want them to have some really nice healed stuff, and the last thing we want is for them to have a bad experience that turns them off from piercing forever. 
all it really takes is a client having one bad experience for them to be, you know, kind of put off piercing and being like, you know what, I don't really know that this is for me. This is too much work. This is too difficult. And a lot of that can be avoided by being realistic with what you're going to do first with someone, maybe not jumping into an industrial or something super hard to heal, but starting with some helixes, a conch, and being a little bit more realistic. So that way when the client does get to those complicated projects, they have some experience under their belt and they kind of know know what they're signing up for, what they're in for, and they're prepared to heal it effectively. Even though, you know, you can message me at any point in time, I'm still available, you can call the studio. If you're not here for me to lengthen your bar or take a look at the piercing in person, it's not always the most beneficial. So it's nice to have somebody on the other side of things who can do that for someone so that we can all kind of work together to give the client that best experience possible. Absolutely. And I think it's important, no matter how like intimidating or nerve wracking it is to be comfortable reaching out to other piercers. And also remember that, you know, what we learn in kindergarten, treat others the way you want to be treated. If you see something that's maybe not ideal, or not the best, don't be afraid to be honest with someone about that, but in a way that is, you know, polite. Um, and in a way that someone can be receptive to, because that's how we all learn and grow. And at the end of the day, we do this all for the clients. Um, and that needs to be in the forefront of what we're doing and not necessarily like Instagram or the chance to do something really rad, but what the client experience is going to be, what they want to get out of getting pierced. Of course. And it is one of those things that like me, I would definitely love to know if something that I did was not healing or causing issues or wasn't ideal or whatever the case may be that helps me learn. And I know that not everybody is as receptive to that, but it it's a, a good thing to have. Criticism can be hard to take. And when giving that to someone, if you're not on the receiving end, you should always, like you mentioned, make sure that you're giving it in a way that is constructive and not detrimental (laughs) at the end where someone's like, well, I just better hang up my needles and I guess I quit, you know, (laughs) but instead they're like, you know what? That's a very valid point. Maybe I'll change this about next time around. Absolutely. And that's how we learn and grow and we all become better and we can all do better work for our clients. Um, It's, it's important. You know, we can't make the industry better without being the change that we want to see in it and being a part of making that effort towards making it more client centric and making sure that everyone's really getting the best experience they possibly can wherever they go. Right. And not everyone is going to obviously agree on the rights and wrongs of everything. That's why having piercer ethics is kind of a gray area. Everyone has their own definition of what that is for them. And it's entirely up to us to work together to make sure that we're reaching at least some version of a consensus so that when we do have traveling clients, these things are going well. And we're at least helping one another for that sake, not anything in between. Absolutely. If every studio based off of what you do and don't offer, the climate you live in, the type of clientele you have, a number of different factors is going to have their own ethical feelings about what's right, what's wrong, you know, whatever it may be. But I think it's important to remember at the end of the day, as long as the studio has really taken into careful consideration safe practices and best practices for what they're doing. Um, And at the end of the day, they're doing what they feel they can prove is a conclusively safe procedure for where they're at, that 
you know, respect other piercers' ethics, but also be honest about communication, be honest with your clients, and just really focus on doing the best work you can do, even if that sometimes means saying no or not getting that really cool sale or that really cool picture, and remembering to backtrack a little bit and ask yourself those questions. Is this the best for this client? Is this the safest thing? Um, should I reach out to someone about this? And really, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, thank you so much for a really great episode, Margo. If people want to read more of your thoughts on this stuff or follow you online, remind everyone again where they can do that. Very simple, just at Piercings by Margo. Um, and then if you want to follow the studio page, it's at Amato Piercing. And we, I often post on both of the above, so you guys can watch everything and see what's going on with my life. And I'm at Lynn Lohide and lynnlohide.com, where I have a blog where I publish more educational work like this on a bi-monthly basis if you want to follow me. And thanks so much for giving us a listen. Thanks. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>